Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. Good afternoon and welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kievan. Great to be with you here this fabulous afternoon. And today I want to talk about a topic that to me personally is a very, ex- uh, a topic that I'm passionate about, something that I'm personally excited. I want to talk about the twilight zone, how to jumpstart the afternoons of life. And I'm going to refer to something specific, a challenge that many of us have, but it is so cherished and treasured by God. And I want to start with a little story by way of introduction. You see, the story is told about a Hasidic master who once questioned one of his students, one of his disciples. The guy was missing shul, and he asks him, why are you so frequently absent from shul and from the shiurim, from the lectures, from participating? You know, as a member of our community, you should be coming more to shul. You should be attending the shiurim. You should be at the lecture series. And the man says, listen, Rabbi, You have to understand, I work very hard to support my children. And he says, really, if it was up to me, I would never miss a prayer. I would never miss a class, a shiur, any of the programs. But how else will I raise healthy, strong, pious, beautiful children? It's the kinderlach. Believe me, only for the kinderlach for my dear children that I'm missing shul. Anyways, the rabbi smiled. And he says, it's rather interesting, don't you think, when I ask my students about their decreasing shul attendance, they blame it on the children. Then what happens? 25 years pass, and those grown children are asked by their rabbis. And new, so when are you joining us for the Talmud class and for our Jewish Learning Institute and for the Shior and Voila? There you go, the same thing, it's because of their children, they can't come. So the rabbi says, years pass, and now Mr. Grown Grandchild is nudge new. Why don't you, why don't we see you at the Tanya class? And it's deja vu all over again. It's for my children's sake, for the kinderlach, you have to understand, rabbi. And so it goes generation after generation. So the rabbi raises his hands to heaven. He says, Rebbeinu Shalayla, master of the universe, where is the final child for whom generation after generation of fathers and mothers have sacrificed for their own Judaism? Where is that child? Where is he? Where is she? Will they ever exist? Everyone's doing it for the kids. And let me tell you, as a rabbi, I have heard the best excuses why people can't be at shul, why they can't come to the shiur. Now, the truth is, I think a lot of people want to be kind and nice. They don't want to say straight up to me, Rabbi, we don't like your sermon, or service is boring, or the food isn't good enough. So they have all types of other excuses. It's bricks traffic, like we had last week, or the children have this, that, and the other. But the problem is, as you see, and... To me, this little story is so amusing because it's so true. I could attest to it. And maybe if I wasn't the rabbi myself, I'd also be having all those excuses. So here's where I wonder about during the sandwich years of our lives. We're running from doctor's appointments to family outings, from work to racing to pay our bonds and time, and somewhere in between dealing with the leak in the roof or the basement, and I could say being part of the sandwich generation, we have to look out after our parents and look after our children, and life with a nesting brood can be quite hectic. Thank God for my beautiful Kindelach. And it's very hard to find something meaning, to find any meaning in the crazy whirlwind that we call life because, you know, I don't know who said it, but 
Life was what happens while we're making all these other plans. And this is life. We've got all these things going on. This is the sandwich generation in which we find ourselves. And the question is, is there indeed any meaning to this craziness? How do we find, what are we supposed to do to find tranquility and happiness amidst all this hustle and bustle of life? How can we find meaning and purpose in the middle of of all this craziness, hectic life, and not defer it all to retirement. Now, thank God, during retirement, I got to say, a lot of people, Baruch Hashem, they seize the opportunity, and thank God, every day at Chabad House, we have plenty joining our High Seniors Club, where we have less oi and more joy, because as we all know, there are many people who have find plenty to complain about. You know what the waitress asks in a kosher restaurant? Is anything okay? Right? So... This is life. And going to, I walked into several nursing homes and there you see the people playing. One says, oi, and the next one says, oi, vey, and the third one, oi, vey, mirror. And the fourth one says, okay, enough about the kids. Let's get back to our discussion. Let's get back to the game. And thank God for our program at Chabad House. So many of the elderly have told me that this has prevented further deterioration. Whether people have dementia or other concerns, when you get out and you find meaning and purpose and it's the back to learning, back to school, but this time it's cool, where you get to learn and the questions you ask are not shunned away. We discuss it, we debate it, and a lot of people come to the Chabad Seniors Club. And I, I want to encourage anyone listening, if you know any elderly people, if you're elderly yourself, come join us. It's fun, it's free, we even pay you. And we have transportation and delicious meals and occupational therapy and iPad training and outings sometimes. So there's no reason why not to come. It's just about procrastination. and Don't procrastinate. It's a good time to join us, and I encourage you to join us. But the question is for the youngsters. What could you do? And this is a question I ask myself, and this is the discussion why I'm passionate about this concept, about this idea. What could we do to perhaps not procrastinate to retirement? How could perhaps we explore and discover what it is, wherever we could find some meaning and purpose in the little moments every day in our life. And if you look at the Parsha this week, which of course we have to live with the times, as the Alter Rebbe explained, which means living with the Torah portion of each week. And you look in this week's portion, there's a mitzvah to serve Hashem with all our heart. In fact, we say it in the Shema every single day. And at the very beginning of the second paragraph, God says, well, if you will listen to my commandments, you'll hearken, you'll observe them. That the commandments that Hashem tells you, to love Hashem your God, to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. And we're not going to explore all those things. I just want to focus on one thing. What does it mean to serve God with your heart? And for that, our sages tell us very simply that means prayer. This is prayer. When we pray, that is the service of God with our heart. So this is a very basic tenet of Jewish life that we pray every day. Now, the question many might ask is, where does that come from? We know that the Jewish code of law tells us that it's a mitzvah to pray every single day, but does it say in the Torah, pray to God? Well, our sages tell us to serve Hashem with joy, with, with all your heart. This, the Gemara tells us, this is the service of prayer. Now, that's very clear, but 
how do we know? How often are we supposed to pray? What do we say? Where does all that come from? And this is something fascinating. How did prayer become what it is today? We open our siddur, but you know, at my shul, we have lots of siddurim. We are very welcoming and embrace everyone from all walks and stripes of Judaism. You could open the Chabad siddur. Guess what? We have art scroll. We have the shiloh. We have other siddurim as well. So everybody could feel welcome at our home at our shul. Now, What's the difference, though? If you open the Chabad Siddur, which is based on the Nusach of the Arizal, you have the Art Scroll, which is Nusach Ashkenaz, quite different from Nusach Sfard. We have the Sefard Siddur, too. We have all these different prayer books. So the evolution of prayer to the way what we know it today is actually quite interesting. It's quite fascinating. And I want to share with you, Rambam, Maimonides, gives us that the raw biblical mitzvah of prayer actually does not include any specific language or a set time. It's rather a very general mitzvah to call out to God every day for whatever we might need. And Rambam talks about it in great detail. You can learn about it in the laws of prayer as Rambam discusses this in Mishnah Torah and the laws of prayer. But basically he tells us there that there was, according to biblical law, there's no schedule, there's no siddur, there's no nusach. But with time, circumstances have changed. The Torah doesn't give us a specific obligation or requirements for how prayer is supposed to work. But you have to understand, as demographics shifted, and as Jews moved around, it became, the time became ripe for Ezra to formulate and institute the actual formal prayer as we know it today, or much closer to what we know it today. And obviously it's evolved over time, but Ezra, with when he was returning with the exiliarchs back to Israel. We're talking about 70 years after the destruction of the first temple, talking about the year 350 approximately, 350 before the common era. And the thing is, Ezra and the great sages of his time started to institute prayer, and they instituted not only a formal prayer, as we know in the Siddur, because prior to that people would offer sacrifices and would talk to God with the language of their heart. They would express themselves how they wanted, wherever they were. They would face towards Jerusalem, towards the temple, and they would pray how they wanted. Now Ezra started to formulate an actual um, formal prayer, and this is sort of how we got to the Siddur as we know it now. And he also made that we should, instituted that we should pray three times a day. Why three times a day? Well, the more commonly known reason is because, and this is described in the Talmud, that each one of our prayers corresponds or was, so to say, initiated by one of our patriarchs. Av- uh, Shachris is attributed, was established by Avraham. Yitzchak was, Mincha was established by Yitzchak. And Yaakov established the prayer of Meirev, the evening prayers. And there are references to each of those within the Torah itself. But the Talmud tells us further than that and says that the prayers also correspond to the sacrifices that were offered in the temple. I want to actually read the words to you from Maimonides. He says that the the sages instituted the number of prayers corresponding to the number of sacrifices. So in the temple, we had two specific sacrifices, two daily offerings, two sacrifices that were offered every single day, the carbon tamid. And the prayer that corresponds to the morning, the shachris corresponds to the morning sacrifice. And the afternoon prayer, mincha, corresponds to the afternoon sacrifice, but because the offering would continue into the evening, 
Well, it was divided into Menchamarev, which are both much shorter than Shachris, the morning prayer. And this is sort of how the Talmud explains how prayer became what we're familiar with today, three prayers a day that were established in this liturgy as we know it. And as when I studied at Yeshiva University, the Bell School of Jewish Music, a very interesting and unique institution, and I spent a number of years there from the late 90s to the mid-2000s, under great teachers, you might remember Chazan Joseph Malavani. He was a Chazan once upon a time in the Berea Shul. He was one of my illustrious teachers, or cantor Joseph Beer, uh, uh, Bernard Beer, excuse me. There were other great uh, teachers there, and they... Sh- they shared with us a lot about the evolution of prayer as we know it today, and it's quite fascinating. There's a lot to discuss regarding how the prayer came and some of the things they taught us, for example, is Skarbava, the tradition, not just the tradition of the prayers as they evolve to this day, but also the tunes. You'll notice that anywhere you go in the world, the prayers are fairly similar, even with, regardless which Nusach you're praying, but also the tunes. From one shul to the other, for the most part, they are very similar. And we learned a lot about how they evolved. But basically, I want to focus on a specific prayer of the day. And that is, I'm not going to look at Shachris, because Shachris is a big brother of the prayers. Like I said, he's the big one we do in the morning. But there's one of the little guys, the Mincha, that we do in the afternoon. The Talmud tells us that this prayer is particularly special. And it was a result of this prayer that Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah the prophet, was answered in his very famous showdown with the prophets of the Baal. It's a very famous story. And maybe I could refer a little bit to it, but the Gemara tells us that a man, a person should always, should always take special care about Mincha because Eliyahu Anavi was favorably heard only because he offered a sacrifice because it was in the afternoon in the Mincha time. Now the question is, what is so special about the Mincha prayer? Why was Eliyahu Anavi, Elijah the prophet, answered particularly at that, at, at that time, at the time of Mincha? And so let me share with you one more interesting thing the Zohar says. The, Nahar, the Zohar says that the afternoon is, in the exact words of the Zohar, Lav Ihu Et Ratzon. It is not a propitious time. Now, what does that mean? It's quite a puzzling statement that the Zohar says, because I just told you that the Gemara says a person should pray in the afternoon, because that's when Elijah the prophet was answered. So why does the Zohar seem to say that it's a more difficult time? Is the Zohar disagreeing with the Talmud? Or perhaps the Zohar is teaching us something more fascinating. Now, I would recommend that if you study the Book of Kings, and it would be a good exercise for everyone and to do it with your family, to do it at shul, to study more of our Jewish history in the source, for example, within Tanakh. If you study the book of Malachim, you'll read about the history of Jewish monarchy and the split of the kingdom. And after the reign of King Solomon, we Jews have had a quite a dramatic period in our history. I'm referring to a particular event where there was a split in the kingdom between the son of King Solomon and the rest of the kings of Israel. And it's it's a very tragic, I would say, very tragic period in the sense of Jewish history because at that time you had the uh, Rechavam who succeeded King Solomon. And I'm talking about approximately, 
I can't give you the exact year. I think it was around 9.30 of the, before the Common Era. And you had Yeravam who split away from the, from the kingdom of Judah. And basically the Jews split. You had the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah and different territories and completely separated. In fact, Yeravam ben Nevat was, was quite difficult of a king. He set up roadblocks. And we talked a little bit about that last week's show, preventing Jews from worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem, which was in the, in the, uh, in the territory of the kingdom of, kingdoms of Judah. And we had better kings and worse kings. Along came King, King Ahav. He married out of the Jewish faith to Jezebel, who was a Moabite, I think she was Moabite, princess, uh, the daughter of Tyre, in fact, the, the princess of Tyre. And she infiltrated the Jewish, the Jewish people, that kingdom of Israel, with idolatry and it was a very bad time in Jewish history there was immense idol worship going on in that period the Jews were worshipping the idols of Baal if you read the story there in the book of Malachim chapter 18 it describes a great showdown a dramatic story where Eliyahu Anavi, being the prophet he stands up to the Jews and he says for how long will you vacillate and jump on the two sides do you believe in God Almighty do you want God's protection or are you going to worship the idols and Eliyahu says let the day come bring all the prophets of the Baal which there were very many there were 450 prophets of the Baal another 400 prophets of other idols and he says let's have a showdown let's see if your God if this idol you're worshipping will actually be there for you. And the story is amazing. What happens? They are going to bring a bull and they're going to sacrifice it. And let's see if the fire will come on the altar. And nothing happens. And Elijah gets quite cynical with them and sarcastic. Says, maybe your God is sleeping. Maybe you have to wake him up. Maybe he's, your God is on vacation, on holiday. And he says, let's see what Almighty God Hashem will do. And he cries out to Hashem, Aneni Hashem, Aneni, God, please answer me. Hashem, please answer me. And fire descends from heaven. Now, in general, Elijah was sort of that fire and brimstone kind of prophet. He wants to use these dramatic kind of fireworks and spectacular events to attract and excite the Jews into return into Teshuvah. Hashem prefers if it came from their heart, not just compelled from all this drama. But basically the situation, the spiritual level of the Jews at that time, as if you read the book, you could tell, was in a very, very low, low level at the point. And the Jews were not struggling with whether they should spend a thousand rand on Shabbos expenses or with Rosh Hashanah around the corner, what kind of uh, chauffeur to buy or what kind of esrog to get for Sukkot. That wasn't their concern. Uh, whether to get to shul every single day, this was not the stuff they were grappling with then. They were struggling with the very tenets of the Jewish faith. In fact, in this week's Torah portion, we talk about the sin of the golden calf that Moses reminds the Jews about. That was the kind of struggle they were facing with at that time. Now, if you're faced with the very serious challenge, and you want to make sure that the forces that you use to vanquish it are sufficient to lay it for to rest for good, if you stand up to the opposition at a time that it's not going very well and you manage to overcome it, well, it remains possible that the ground you covered isn't, let's say, sufficient to really eliminate that the, the dormant reserves that could possibly resurface. As an example, just 
Think about if somebody isn't well, Leolano. And, uh, you know, just the other day I was dealing with a friend, a congregant, a, a, a friend of mine, a personal friend who's going through a resurgence. You listened to the show, the previous show of, uh, the DL Inc. And they talk about interviewing people who have a return, a relapse in their cancer, in the dreadful disease. So take an infection of the body as an example. The classic method of treating this is to inject an antibiotic that fights the infection. Now, a doctor has to know the correct amount, the right dosage of antibiotic to prescribe so that it will sufficiently kill the infection within that individual. But there are times that a lesser dose of antibiotic may initially seem to do the job, so why not? But after time, the infection regains its strength and eventually the patient becomes immune. The body gets immune to that antibiotic. What is the key mission of the doctor? The objective is to give the correct dosage that will kill the bacteria's reserves and thereby eradicating it for good. So when we're back, we're going to talk about how Elijah tried to implement that and how we could perhaps glean that concept idea and implement it within our daily lives. We'll be right back. Two hours every weekday, covering everything from Torah, Parsha, holidays, and so much more. This is 101.9 High FM, Soul to Soul. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I'm Rabbi Ari Kiev, and it is great to be with you again here this afternoon. We're talking about the challenges of life that we face, and as we said before, the doctor has to prescribe the right dosage in order to prevent a resurgence, a recurrence of any kind of dreadful infection or bodily disease. And this is the dilemma that Elijah Leoha Navi, the prophet, faced when he was trying to use the drama, all that excitement in it, like a, a, what do you call it? Shock therapy for the Jews. You see, he was staring down at the Jews in their worst spiritual state possible. And he wanted to make sure that he was treating the infection sufficiently in a way that it won't come back. So he waits to the afternoon. And that's a key component of what happens. In the morning, he lets the Nevi'ah Baal, the false prophets, he lets them take their time. Go ahead. Let's see what miracles your gods could perform. And he waits for the afternoon. You see, Kabbalah explains that Shachris, the morning prayer, which is very important, and men don tefillin. Although, remember, if you haven't had a chance to put on tefillin in the morning, you could do it all the way until the sun sets. I'm not recommending that you should wait. But I just want to say, if for whatever reason you didn't do it in the morning, don't say that the time is gone. You could still do it in the afternoon. Now, a lot of people sometimes come to our shul any time of the day in Sandton Central. You're working. Come. We have a pair of tefillin at 8 Stella Street in Sandton Central. And we'll welcome you. You can put on the tefillin. You could say Shema. You could pray for as long or short as you want. Nobody's judging you. Some people do it late in the afternoon at 5.30 p.m. just before Mincha davening. But everyone's welcome to do so. You see, Eliyahu Anavi, he didn't want to do this in the morning. Now, the morning is a more propitious time for prayer, actually. And that's why it's recommended. And that's why there's a time to finish your prayer in the morning. It is preferred to daven shacharis in the morning because we are told that in the morning there are spiritual forces of chesed, of loving kindness that are prevalent. And when kindness and benevolence shine supreme, it is a better time to pray. And God will answer your prayers. And that's why it's appropriate that one should pray in the morning. Now, the question obviously is, if Eliyahu would have waged that spiritual battle at that time, 
he would have been given an open door and things would have probably gone quite well for him. The problem is that when the spiritual climate would change for the Jews, when the forces of chesed would be gone and all of a sudden givura, severity would take over, then the infection would come right back, rearing its ugly head. And sure, when an environment of niceness was the mot de jeu, the battle would be won. But now that Mr. Nice Guy is gone and there are forces of opposition in place, who's to say that the Jews would hold fast to their rediscovered belief? How many times has it happened? You and I know, whether it's with ourselves or others, that people get excited, they're passionate, they want to do the right thing, and then the enthusiasm fades away. It's just part of life. And Eliyahu waited until Mincha because he wanted to avoid a situation where that enthusiasm dissipates. And so he waited for the spiritual climate to be not as favorable. As the Zohar says, the afternoon is more a time of givurah, of discipline, of severity. When the forces of severity and judgment are more prevalent, and that was the time he wanted to wage this battle. He felt if he could win then, then the victory would be a much stronger one. And so it was. The hours ticked away until the afternoon. He let the prophets of the Baal do their thing. And that's when Eliyahu prays to God. When? Mincha time. In the late afternoon. And he was answered in that whole dramatic story as described in the book of Malachim. And so the Jews were overwhelmingly convinced of the truth of Hashem. And they repented. And this is something fascinating in the book of Malachim that's described. But Kabbalah takes it a step further that Eliyahu was a wise warrior. He chose the most challenging moment to battle those forces. And that's why he was victorious. That's when you want to win the war in the most difficult time. And this way, there wouldn't be a chance of losing it so soon again. So this, I think, is a very powerful concept and idea that... Mincha, it makes it a more conducive time for prayer because it's a more challenging time. That's why. And I want to just focus a little bit more on the challenges of Mincha and perhaps how each of us could implement in our lives a way to overcome the challenges that Mincha poses. So we discussed how the special quality of Mincha is, in fact, a... Less propitious time because it's a time of givura, of the discipline of severity. But if you look at it a more deeper way, we say according to Jewish law, we have to pray three times a day, morning, evening, and afternoon. So which is the most difficult for you personally? I know for a lot of people, mincha is the most difficult. Just think about it. Most people have a daily routine. You start right from the time you wake up in the morning. You know, some people like to have their coffee right away. Some people enjoy it with a pastry. Others can't handle the strong drink. So they have something else, right? Maybe a cup of juice, water with a, with a hint of lemon in it, whatever you like. Some people check the news in the morning. They read the star. They tune into the morning mayhem here on Chai FM. Some people like to jump on the treadmill at the gym. Everyone has their specific morning routine. And without it, people tend to feel quite disoriented. Now, part of a Jew's morning routine is prayer. It's the 
right in the morning, the beginning of the day, and it works. It's less challenging to fit prayer in your schedule right at the beginning of the day because it's before the chaos of work begins, before those emails pour in, before the phone buzz and the kids scream. It's easier to make time for to just spiritually plug in and connect to our Creator. Now, after the dust settled and you've hopefully emerged unscathed from another day, well, you could somehow make time for a few minutes of prayer. Maybe the kids are already in bed, the emails are quieting down, the phone is on the charger, quiet, whatever it is. If you have a little bit of discipline, easy to pray in the morning, easy to pray in the evening. However, mincha seems like quite the challenge. Think about it. Mincha calls at the intersection of stress and insanity. Life is zipping along at breakneck speed. Mincha will find you in the middle of a very important project at work. Or you're picking up the kids from school or at home, whatever it is, during happy hour or apologizing to your spouse for your late homecoming. And it's quite challenging to try and pray mincha to be a, like, like a mensch every day. And that's mincha's uniqueness. It's the ultimate display of dedication. The type of prayer that shows God, it shows the world and yourself that you're really in for the ride. It's not a long prayer. But even when it's totally inconvenient, the atmosphere is completely unconducive. The time is limited. You freeze, you collect yourself, you focus on your prayers, and that is quite a feat. And this is what Eliyahu Anabi taught us of the uniqueness of Mincha. I and mean, the practical side of it is that Mincha is situated Yes, as Kabbalah says, at a time of gevura, a time of severity. And praying then, this, uh, for us, it displays the power to bond with God, which is to such a degree that is not deterred by any negative settings, despite what's going on at work. So practically, within our daily lives, you think about the determination that's required to make the time for Mencha. And I got to tell you, we used to struggle with our minion in Santon Central. But these days, we get a nice minion with more than 20 people on many days coming through. We have snacks, we have refreshments, we have lachaims, chance to come study before or after. You can learn with myself or one of the apprentice rabbinic students who join us. And so many people come. They make that time in their day. I know of offices, whether it's in Sant and the Melrose Arch or other areas, where many people get together and they do mincha. Yes, it's challenging, but just think about it. Mincha is a gift that we give to God. It's a time we say to God, yes, I have many reasons why I can't make it, but I'm going to make the time to say thank you, to show appreciation for all the things that happen in my life. And I think that is such a powerful thing. Yes, in the morning when the day hasn't yet blown up and, 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 and basically it fits into our schedule to daven, well, it's great. It's good. And the morning is a time of chesed. Perfect. Your day hasn't really started and you're taking the time to thank God for restoring your soul, for giving you back your neshama. And the same thing you could say for the evening when you're thanking God for all the good things. But mincha is an entirely different story because when you freeze in the middle of the day, when you drop everything and whether you're praying in your office before continuing that meeting because the sun is going to set or you make it to the shul, that prayer 
within the mundane, busy, and hectic time of your day is such a dedication to God. It's not at the beginning when it's easier. It's not the end. And this is something that is so powerful. And this is what Eliyahu Anavi teaches us, that we could give God this gift. He wanted to do it because he felt that's the best time to defeat the distractions of idol worship. But for us as well, think about if this is a time that you could dedicate to God, you could give this gift to God and say, Hashem, as challenging as my daily schedule is, I am there for you. And so I think if you could do that in your life and tackle this very challenge, it shows a unique level of dedication. And I think this is a very powerful lesson for ourselves. So just think about the unique spiritual advantage like Eliyahu Navi displayed. Yes, it's a difficult time. It's a time of Gevura. But it shows your dedication. And in fact, Shachros means morning. Mairev means evening. But Mincha does not mean afternoon. Mincha means a gift. It's a present we give to God. Yes, it's difficult. But you are de- demonstrating your intense dedication for Hashem. And this, I think, is something, whether we learn it from Eliyahu Anavi or you're able to do it in your schedule each day. You know, in the morning... We say in our prayers, Matovu Ohalecha Yaakov Yisrael. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, Israel. And a beautiful Hasidic interpretation. The verse, which was the words that was supposed to be the curse of Bilam to the Jewish people, and instead he uttered blessings, he says something that seems quite similar. Matovu, how goodly, Ohalecha Yaakov, your tents, Jacob, Mishkan Osecha, Yisrael, your dwellings, Israel. What's the difference between tents and dwellings, Jacob and Israel? Jacob and Israel are the same names, are two names of our third patriarch. And tents and dwellings seem to be similar as well. But tents are temporary. And Jacob symbolizes the name of Yaakov when he struggled in life. The name Yaakov is like the name of this week's Parsha, Akev, where he was holding on to grasping the heel of his brother Esau. That was Yaakov when he struggled in his life constantly. He only gets the name Yisrael after he overcomes, after he's triumphant. And you know what triumph is? It means to try with a little extra oomph when he is victorious over the archangel of Esav. And then he becomes Yisrael, which means, one of the meanings is Li Rosh, he becomes the head. He's the boss. And that is synonymous with Mishkin Osecha, your dwellings. A dwelling is a permanent dwelling. And our sages tell us that that is Israel, the Jew who is in total control of his day, committed, dedicated, studying Torah, keeping Shabbos, observing Kashrut, all the good things a Jew is supposed to do. Whereas Yaakov is the struggling Jew, the one who doesn't have the time in the day to perhaps be at every minion and study Torah. He is like a tent. Sometimes he's up, sometimes he's down. Yet which one comes first in the verse? Ohalecha Yaakov, the struggling Jew who is not permanently studying and dedicated, yet finds the time, whether it's three minutes in the day to say the Amida quickly at Mincha, or to jump into the shul and grab a snack, learn something quickly. But if you find a time during your day to dedicate to God, any time during the day that you are at work and you dedicate a few minutes to Hashem, 
Just imagine how powerful. And that's why Mincha is called a gift. You possess the ability to give God that gift. And that's why that is the part of the verse that comes first. My dear friends, whether you join us in San Francisco for Mincha, and we got a minion every day at 5.30 p.m. with refreshments and learning, or you do it in your office, or you do it wherever you are, but dedicating a few minutes to God during the day, whether, whatever way you do it, Hashem cherishes that. And that's why Mincha is the best gift of every day, true dedication and gratitude to the Almighty. My dear friends, I wish you a fabulous Shabbos, a great weekend. Carpe diem, seize the moment and give this gift to yourself, give this gift to your family, give this gift to God. Have a great day.